Welcome to this Veterans in Politics Afghanistan special. I thought long and hard about whether or not I would say something about Afghanistan on the podcast, but I simply had to record this episode. As a bit of a change from other episodes you might be used to on this podcast, I will be looking back at the guests from season one and season two who had served in Afghanistan. This is my tribute to the times that we live in, to our fallen comrades, our brothers and sisters, and the many civilians killed in decades of conflict. But also, it's a time for us as a community to come together, to reflect, and also a rallying call for you to stand up and serve again. But before we get into all of that, I really would just like to begin by remembering my friend, squadron leader, Ant Downing, killed in Afghanistan, and a fellow student from the Defence School of Languages. This is for you, Ant. So for many of us, Afghanistan is a very personal journey and a very personal heartbreak that we're all feeling right now as we see the reports on the TV. You can't escape it, whether or not you turn off Twitter, turn off the TV, it's with us, perhaps now, perhaps always. But I wanted to reflect on my time in Afghanistan, something I've spoken about on occasion on a couple of other podcasts, including my own here in Veterans in Politics. But for me, largely, it was a positive experience. I deployed back in 2011-2012 on what was known as Operation Herrick 15, and I was to be attached with the 1st Battalion of the Yorkshire Regiment. People from that regiment now back in Afghanistan. My role was to serve as a a military interpreter with the language of Pashto, something I'd studied for a period of 15 months at Defence School of Language, Languages. It was a, one of the most amazing periods of my life. But we knew at the end of that 15-month course that we'd be going one place and one place only, and that was Helmand Province. So my tour was centred around handing over responsibility and control back to the Afghans themselves. So I spent a lot of time on the ground working with ordinary Afghans, in particular young people in schools, their teachers, and also the local national security forces. So you can imagine why this has been quite a difficult period for me as I think about that work that we put in. And it brings to me a sense of fear about their future, particularly the Afghan national security forces but also some hope that those children that I met day in day out and worked very closely with their teachers their hopes and their expectations now as adults as they will be many of them are different to their parents so that fills me with an enormous sense of pride and hope that their future even though it looks dark at the moment there is that that chink of light and hope through that darkness about their particular futures those that we helped facilitate in education but the periods of my life uh, in Afghanistan I worked and met with some of the best of you so if you are a veteran from that period I'd just like to say thank you 
our generation of which there are about 180,000 people serving in Afghanistan are some of the best that this country has and the best of our years were given to that conflict and that country. Indeed, many of us are now in our 30s, 40s and 50s and still have the rest of our lives to live. And I've seen examples of this powerfully in business, in my work, in the veterans community, where veterans and reservists are absolutely smashing it out of the park in every walk of life. This ecosystem of the Afghan generation is proving one of the best generations. And if you are feeling some sense of doubt around that, I would urge you to look again because what you did and what you've done is worth it. And you've got so much more to give, whether you're still serving or whether you've left the armed forces. My call to you is to stand up and serve again. So before we meet some of these politicians who have served in Afghanistan alongside us and who are now serving again in public life, I would ask you to reflect if this is your moment. This, this political mess that we're in has been caused by and large by politicians. These have been political decisions, not ours. And if they frustrated you as much as they have me, I would say to you, well, we just need better politicians, don't we? Because we'll get better decisions. And you would have seen the evidence of this in the Afghan debate and those that really stood out for me were Johnny Mercer, Tom Tugendhat and Dan Jarvis and many others from the veterans community in Parliament, of which there are 50. And I'm proud to be able to share with you today some little snippets from their episodes on Veterans in Politics, where I was to sit down with them and talk about their time. So without further ado, I'd like to reintroduce you from season one to Johnny Mercer, the former Veterans Minister and former a Royal Regiment of Artillery officer who did three tours of Afghanistan. Tom Tugendhat, who um, is from my cat badge, the Intelligence Corps, very experienced, a linguist like me. Dan Jarvis, formerly of the Parachute Regiment, who served in theatre alongside um, Tom. Doug Beatty from the um, Royal Irish, a career soldier, uh, decorated for gallantry, and now serving in his community in Northern Ireland and leader of the Ulster Unionist Party. We then move on to Greg Hammond, a very experienced senior officer from the Royal Air Force who serves again in local government, before finally ending up with Labour's Clive Lewis, who served with the rifles in the combat camera team in Afghanistan. And what he says at the end around those political decisions, as I've just alluded to, is really quite poignant. So without further ado, I'm just going to hand you over to our veterans in politics. I hope you enjoy this look back, but looking forward to season three, there are some more veterans in politics, more Afghan veterans coming forward. Those that have decided to stand up and serve again. I could not marry the contrast between when we would get ministers and MPs come out to Afghan and visit a PB or whatever, and they never really came to my PBs, because obviously they would go to um, central locations, but marrying the, the kind of indifference, right, uh, of that and the 
sort of patriotism and dedication to the blokes, basically, blokes and girls that I was looking after. And the trouble is, you know, I did I did three Afghans in pretty quick succession. Um, and it's not like I, I, I sort of went native or anything, but I did, you know, uh, summer after summer after summer, you, you do begin to see what the guys give to the organisation and, and the cause and, and, the, and the regiment. And uh, I just felt that we deserved a lot better from politicians. And I, I say I hated politicians. I didn't hate them. I just thought they were, I thought they were really shit. And that as a nation, we deserved better. Um, and um, and that, that genuinely was it. Um, a bit of a mad idea. Um, I thought I'd had a good time in the military. Um, but I did, I'm not one of those who had anything so sort of bad to say, you know, that I was fed up and all this crap. I had a great time in the military. I loved it. And I'll go back in a heartbeat. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Johnny Mercer. I think you certainly get a flavour of his why, why he came into politics and deeply rooted in those three tours of Afghanistan and why he thinks we deserve better politicians. I was really pleased to be able to kick off Veterans and Politics episode one with Johnny. And indeed, this came off the back of a, a really good, well-attended webinar with 50 veterans and reservists, ranging in rank from private soldiers to major general. So I'm indebted for Johnny and his support. and. I know that his mission to stand up and serve again and to continue that veterans agenda is not yet over. We're now going to move on to Tom Tugendhat from my cat badge, the intelligence corps. Conservative Tom Tugendhat has risen to prominence recently with the most amazing speech during the Afghan debate in parliament. And if you haven't seen it, I'd urge you to look it up today. In this episode, he talks about serving alongside two other guests of Veterans in Politics, the Ulster Unionist Party leader, Doug Beatty, MC, MLA, and Labour's Dan Jarvis. The strength of that shared military service connection completely trumps any political divisions that may exist. And we mention and talk about that in the episode. Indeed, those three individuals represent three different political parties, but are all comrades having served together and having those shared values and standards. Over to Tom. Yeah. So Doug and I served together in, um, in Lash, in Lash Kagar in 2000. And, God, I can't even remember six, seven, something like that. And we got, um, uh, we got blown up together. Um, Doug had a, a, an office in the basement. Um, it's the only sensible place to keep him really. And the, um, uh, he was only allowed out on good behavior. The, um, which never happened, and he um, uh, and he was he was absolutely brilliant. And and I had a I had an office upstairs when I was advising the governor, and we had a you know we had a couple of run-ins with um, uh, suicide bomber and things like that. I mean you know it was it was it was well difficult days. And then um, and then Dan Jarvis and I um, did a few ops together uh, way down the fish hook actually in uh, in Helmand and and on patrols through the desert. I mean it was. I have to say it's the best bit of soldiering is going on patrol and, and going on patrol with somebody who then becomes a mate like Dan was just fabulous. He's a, you know, his, his policies are complete rubbish, but he's a, he's a brilliant commander and he's a, and he's a, a man of very high integrity. Next up, we have Dan Jarvis, the parallels of his military and political service and what motivated him to enter 
politics in the first place is really evident after a hugely successful and operationally focused career in the parachute regiment. Dan is one of the leading figures in the veterans movement in parliament and indeed still serves alongside that as mayor of the South Sheffield region. I think it was in part because I'd, I'd come to understand that what you do for a job is is massively important. Having something that gets you out of bed in the morning that you're passionate about, that you believe adds value and makes a real difference, is incredibly important. And given the experiences that I'd had in the armed forces, it was always going to be a tough act to follow. Um, it was always going to be difficult to find something that would give me that same sense of pride that same opportunity to get up in the morning and do something that I thought was worthwhile and that I could kind of commit and dedicate myself to. I think politics um, sometimes gets a bad name. And let's be honest about it. Lots of members of the public are not massive fans of politicians or of politics. But I think most people understand that actually politics, like the armed forces, is a vocation it does require people to step forward and seek to make a contribution. And, you know, I'd had a sort of interest in it for a number of years. And, you know, for the first 10 years in the army, I was so busy dashing here, there and everywhere that my whole life was consumed by service. I really was looking forward to sitting down with Doug Beattie, MC MLA. Doug was one of those individuals I'd been inspired by on some of the many TV documentaries about Afghanistan. In this clip, He chronicles what he terms as a life of accidents and how he wanted to serve even more after serving for all of those years, but this time in his local community. My my time as a commissioned officer was um, all um, regulated between uh, training uh, at ITC Catrick um, to moving on to doing three tours uh, of Afghanistan. So I did three tours of Afghanistan, which started in 2006, and my last one finished uh, in 2011, uh, and I was pretty burnt out by that stage. Um, and I was intent on leaving the military, but very luckily for me, I, I was employed as a um, permanent staff administration officer for a, a reserve battalion, uh, and, and I took that up. And here's where it got quite interesting for me, because my life has been about accidents in many ways. So um, I, I was a, a PSAO for two All-Irish based in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, I was in Belfast. Uh, but the workload was was not what I was used to. The speed of life wasn't what I was used to. But I still wanted to serve more, and I wanted to do more um, for, for my community. But uh, I got fatter. Uh, my hair got greyer. I, I, I got glasses. You know, I'm a little bit slower than I, Where, than I used to be. Where's the beard, Doug? You had a lovely yeah, beard. And the well. beard comes and goes uh, as, as I want. But but I, I really had that sense of wanting to continue to serve, but not being able to serve in the same way because physically I'd got older and things had moved on. Um, and I'd find I'd had extra time. So uh, I, I joined a political party. Um, uh, and then within two weeks, a political party asked me to stand in the local elections local council elections, and, and I did, um, and was elected as a local councillor for my local council, which is called Armagh City, Banbridge and Craig Avonborough Council. It's pretty catchy, that, isn't it? Um, uh, and I did that for, for a couple of years. Uh, and then again, they, they asked, look, would you stand to be an MLA in the Assembly? Uh, I never thought much about it, and I said yes. And, and I was elected first time. That was um, uh, 2016. 
Um, uh, and I've been an MLA uh, since. So that's four years as MLA and two years as a, as a, as a councillor. So that's the sum of my of my time as a, 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 a in in politics. But I've got to say, purely by accident, I've gone from being a young ranger with no educational qualifications, and I still have none, um, through to being an RSM to being commissioned um, uh, to um, uh, being elected to to um, the, the local assembly here in Northern Ireland, and that's pretty much my life in a nutshell. And a little bit of other things thrown in between. I, I managed to write three books. Uh, received the Military Cross and the Queen's Commendation for Bravery and the NATO Meritorious Service Medal and some award for Northern Ireland as well. So all of them are little snippets thrown into a life which has been quite full. Former RAF senior officer Greg Hammond was one of our first local government veterans in politics. With many tours, including operational theatres of Afghanistan, he draws upon the transferable skills from the military into politics. Greg has literally done every job behind the scenes of politics and now serves in local government in London. Right, well, let's pull up a sandbag then and tell you a few um, stories about the RAF. So I, I joined as a university cadet, so a sponsorship um, in the 1980s during the during the Cold War. Uh, when I qualified, I was an RAF fighter control officer uh, helping with the air defence of the United Kingdom. I uh, transitioned from that into flying duties on the E3D AWACS aircraft, which I did for about 10 years, uh, flying in the Balkans operations and Bosnia, Kosovo, um, and then the the first Gulf War in Afghanistan when it first kicked off. And then I was promoted, effectively promoted out of flying and did a number of uh, more senior roles including working in a couple of Whitehall private offices as military assistant. Uh, I was station commander of RAF Filingdales in Yorkshire, the ballistic missile warning station. Uh, I was deputy commandant of the RAF College at Cranwell. And my last job was head of intelligence, for one of the deployable headquarters at Northwood. Um, I could list a large number of other jobs, but 32 years, that gives a flavour of the sort of variety that I think wouldn't be untypical of a 32-year service career. In terms of what does it prepare you for, I think military skills are eminently transferable. Um, So for political things, we'll campaign the language of politics and the language of military uh, uh, the military campaigning is pretty much the same. We fight campaigns when we're standing for election, for example. So organising of campaign sessions, for example, well, I'm pretty good at that. It's uh, it's really low-level military stuff. Um, uh, pretty much uh, uh, every junior officer or, or corporal would be able to do this. You, you set a time for a campaign session. You communicate that to your troops, uh, you assemble them, you brief them and uh, set them off uh, and have a meeting time at the end of the campaign session. So my ward is always the uh, pretty much the best in terms of canvassing in uh, in our local authority area because I organise it with military efficiency and military precision and I do have rep- reputation for that, but it gets results. I simply had to finish up with Labour's Clive Lewis. He was inspired by his own grandfather's service in World War II and this led him to join the Army Reserves in the Rifles as an officer. He went on to serve in Afghanistan with a combat camera team using his transferable skills in journalism and 
his comments around political decisions and the decision makers that make them go into conflict are really quite poignant. I had to finish off with this because for me, it really does help explain and give some sense to what's going on at the moment in terms of our own service and how we as the armed forces community need to be part of that decision-making process. The people I speak to on this podcast can't do it alone. So I'm calling upon you to stand up and serve again. And uh, I went away and I went, obviously went to journalism. And when I came, but when I was at in doing journalism, I was, my granddad, I don't know if other people have noticed this of their grandparents, but the older you get, the more your, the, the key moments of your life come into focus. And he started, he went through a phase from between his 50s and 70s where he didn't go back to Normandy, didn't do much. As he got a bit older, it started to take on more and more meaning for him. And I used to go back with him. And I used to go back with him. And that sense of camaraderie, that sense of, of belonging, that sense of achievement, of doing something with their lives, it just, I think, just resonated with me in a way that few things did. And it rekindled my kind of, my, my kind of the military side of things. And I, I went back in and I investigated. I ended up joining uh, the rifles. And I wanted to push myself as far as I could go, physically, mentally. And if you go into the, you know, if you go into the army, you go into the reserves, it does that. You know, you, you know, how many people, you know, spend the weekend getting trashed? You spend the weekend problem solving, assault courses, you know, platoon attacks, um, night patrols, ambushes. Yeah, it's hard at the time, but you come back with a sense of I did something and you're part of a team and you have that camaraderie. So uh, I loved it. Um, and politics of the military and, and so aside, um, that's what I got out of it. And that's what I enjoyed. And, you know, yeah, I became an officer and, and I, had, I had some of the best times of my life, um, you know, training. And um, I miss it, if I'm honest. Now, I think clearly I, I served a tour of Afghanistan. Um, and that was, you know, I think anyone that's been on a tour, an active tour, um, I, was, I was the OC of a combat camera team. So they were out on patrol with the infantry or with the cavalry or whoever it was. And, you know, a lot of time, no one was filming. You were, you know, you had your rifle up to your shoulder. So it was um, a, 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 an intense experience. What I will say is this, it is possible to be able to be in the military and also be left wing. And also to have an understanding, I've found out things now about, about my understanding of the world, of the military, which perhaps uh, wasn't there before. And the thing I always say to people, especially on the left, is this. The people in the military, they're our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins. Many, most of them are working people. And, you know, they don't decide which parts of the world they go into or the wars they fight in. They're there to serve their country. And it's the politicians who make the decisions about where they go. So if you have an issue with military intervention, it's the politicians. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.